I'm excited, too, about what God is doing here at Grace. This past week, I had lunch with a dad here who's new to our church. He and his kids are new here. And uh, as I was getting to talk with him a little bit, he just said, you know, when I walked in the doors, it felt like I was coming home. He's not from Austin. He's not from here. But he felt like he was home when he was here. Man, time and time again in that video, we just heard the word community, small group, getting together, knowing each other intimately, deeply. Man, and that is a great, great thing. As Ray said, I'm Brad McNair. I'm the children's pastor here. And I know when you hear that the student pastor or the children's pastor is teaching, your immediate thought is, yes. <laughs> We're getting out early, right? <laughs> right? That's what you think. That's what you're really going. No, it's okay. It's okay. I, I can handle it. It's, it's all right. I'm going to do my best to see how we do today, okay? Um, hey, I have a confession to make to you, though. I want to make a difference. I want to have an impact. I want to leave a mark. I want to have a legacy. I don't want to do that just, for, I don't want to do that for myself. What I mean is, is for Truett, my son, I, I want him to think about how much fun he and I had. But I also want him to think, man, my dad showed me what it looked like to follow hard after Jesus and be a man of God's word. I want Kate, my wife, to think that I'm the most passionate, compassionate man she's ever met in her life and that I do everything I can to serve her selflessly and point her to Jesus. Not only do I want to do that in my household, I want to do that here at the church. I want to solve uh, problems, issues with creative yet simple solutions that help build community, that help people take a step in their faith and become more like Christ in all of life. I want to, I want to make an impact in my neighborhood. I want my neighbors to know who Jesus is. The older I get, the more that this tends to surface in my mind, which I don't think is uncommon. I think most of us, as we, as we get a little bit older, we, we start thinking about, man, what have I done with my life? And see, I know that most of you have the same thought, but, but you're not asking, why should I do this? Because we know the answer. I mean, we, we know that it's not about us, but it's about God working through us to impact others. So the question isn't why, but how on earth do I do this? How do I leave a mark in people's lives that point them to Jesus? How do I have an impact on my neighbors so that they come to know Christ? How do I leave a legacy so that generations down my family line that they're still holding tight to Jesus? Throughout God's word, we see him use a certain uh, kind of profession time and time again in the people that he calls shepherds. Uh, just think about Abraham, shepherd. Moses, the desert shepherd, right? David, the young shepherd boy who became king. That's just a few. There's a lot more. The title shepherd and the role of shepherding is mentioned over 200 times in Scripture. There's some really famous passages as well. Psalm 23, that's a favorite of many. 
where King David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. John 10, when Jesus explains that he is the good shepherd. The answer to our question of how do I make an impact, leave a mark, have a legacy, it's found in being a shepherd. Jesus himself being the good shepherd, that's who we're supposed to be becoming like. And that's, that's why we exist as a church, to guide others to become like Christ in all of life. And so if Jesus is the good shepherd, we must also become shepherds, following him. So in Mark 6, we're going to take a, a look today and see how Jesus shows his disciples how to shepherd people that are right around them. And in the process, we're going to see that we are to shepherd people right around us, right where God has us. So you can flip in your Bible or open up your Bible app to Mark 6, 33 and 34. Before we read those verses, it's important to know that Jesus, right before this, has sent his disciples out to go do ministry. And in that, he, he told them to call people to repent of their sins. Uh, the kingdom is coming. But he also gave them authority to do miracles and to perform healings. And once they gathered back together, they reported to Jesus all the things that they had done. They'd been so busy during this time, they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says, hey, guys, let's hop on a boat and let's go find a place to rest, eat, and recuperate. And so that's where we're going to pick up, starting in verse 33. They're in the boat and they're headed to a quiet place. In verse 33, this is what it says. The people saw them going. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So how do we shepherd? Right off the bat, Jesus shows us concern. Jesus had concern for this large crowd. That word compassion that we just read, it's this inward gut-wrenching reaction that Jesus has. Jesus sees these people, and he has this inward churning of deep concern. His concern for them, though, is not founded in the fact that they were chasing a boat along the shoreline. Uh, how crazy that must have looked. It's not in the fact that they are tired and hungry. We'll see him address that in a minute. But it's in the fact that he looked at them and they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, they, were, they had shepherds. The religious leaders of their day were their shepherds, but they were bad shepherds. They were supposed to be pointing this crowd of 5,000 and other crowds to a deeper relationship with God. That's what they were there for. They were supposed to encourage that, exhort people to that, implore them to that. Instead, though, they were heaping on more and more condemnation on those people. Jesus' concern for this crowd had to do with their eternity. It had to do with where they were going after this life. Jesus showed concern for their eternity, and why did he do it? It's because he's the good shepherd. So if you and I are going to be good shepherds at home with our family, in our neighborhood, with our friends, 
with our coworkers, our employees, then we've got to have a concern for people's eternity. It can't be just a concern, though, that's just kind of this passing thought. It's got to be this gut-wrenching response that when we look at people, we see the effects of sin in their life and the brokenness that they have. While Jesus physically walked on the earth, he never once assumes that somebody else is going to take on this concern for another's eternity. Just think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. She's at the well. It's, she's there at the hottest part of the day. Jesus comes up. I mean, she's there because she's known for sleeping around. She's avoiding people. Yet Jesus, boom, shows up. And in a conversation with her, he reveals to her, I'm the source of living water. Jesus had a deep concern for this Samaritan woman's eternity. A little over a week ago in the news, this story came out of Dallas where a young man expresses his deep concern for a lady's eternal destination. The young man's brother had been shot and killed, and that is a tragic, tragic story. Yet in the courtroom, he looks at the woman, and he shows compassion and concern. This is what he said. I want the best for you. And the best for you would be to give your life to Christ. By the world's standards, this young man has every right to hang on to his hatred, his great dislike for this lady. But instead, he lets it go. He has compassion on her. This gut-wrenching, in, internal response that takes place that he says, I want you to know Jesus. Now, in our own lives, I hope that we never come to a situation like that. But we know that people can definitely get on our nerves, right? I mean, just, just think about it like at work. You know, there's, there, your coworkers, they can have these little ticks that just drive you crazy. I can say that because I have ticks myself. I like to click my pen. I'm a pen clicker. Um, I actually had a, a pen in my notebook earlier. I took it out because I didn't want to click it while I was teaching. So, I mean, it's just there's something about it. It just helps me think. It helps me process information. At least this is what I tell myself why I can have that tick. You know, and I, I sit in a meeting, and I, can, I try so hard not to click that pen. But you know what? I click it anyway. Can't help it. Whether it's a small issue like clicking a pen or whether it's a bigger issue, when we look at people, we can't look at them as annoyances, people that we have great dislike for. We can't look at them as somebody that we have to work around or try to climb over. Instead, we've got to look at people and see them as broken because of the sin in their life. The truth is, those people are just doing the best with what they got. Many of them had broken, unstable homes. Friends who didn't love nor care for them to point them towards Jesus. They don't have a maturing faith. They've had bad shepherds. Your thought about them should be about the fact that they don't know Jesus and are bound for hell. And the only thing that's going to fix that is if someone tells them about Jesus. And here's the thing. God has placed you at that company for just that reason. To tell them about Jesus. 
at home with our families. We cannot just care about good grades and manners, even though I think those are important. I love it when my son says, yes, sir, no, sir. We're working on those. He's not all the way there, but we're still trying. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. But we should have a concern, this internal gut-wrenching concern that when we look at our kids, man, we want everything everything in our power. We're going to do everything in our power to point them to Jesus, to encourage them to have a relationship with him, to do everything we can to have conversations that drive them to a relationship with Christ. That can't just be for our kids. That has to be for our spouses as well. You know, you have a neighbor probably in your neighborhood that, you know, gets on your nerves a little bit too. You see them as you're pulling in, you know, your neighborhood, around the corner to your, to your road, and, you know, they're outside, and you, you give the wave. But as soon as that happens, you're hitting the button on the garage door. It's going up, you know, and you start pulling in, right? And then before you even park the car to turn it off, you've already hit the button to come back down. It's because you're avoiding talking to them. They did something that you just didn't like. But instead of holding on to a dislike for them, man, when we look at our neighbors, we should see them as broken, sinful, bound for hell. And it just so happened that God placed you on that street close to that neighbor to point them to Jesus. God put you in a position to be a shepherd to those people. Why would we do that? It's because that's what the good shepherd does. Jesus had a deep concern that just, uh, he had to do something. It drove him into conversations. We've got to have that same deep concern that drives us into conversations so that we can shepherd people. Because that's what we do. Now, to be honest, the last time that I was around sheep, was in elementary school. We took a field trip uh, when I was in elementary school, and we were watching these shepherds. I don't know if they were called themselves shepherds, but that's kind of what they are in my mind still. Uh, do what shepherds do. Uh, they were talking about their sheep. And the thing that I remember, though, from that is they just drove it home just how not smart sheep are, right? We know this. They're notoriously uh, known for just being dumb. And uh, that's in the South, we'd say, just bless their heart, you know, kind of a thing. That's, that's the way we do handle that. You know, sheep will actually graze the same patch of grass over and over and over again until nothing's left but dirt. Not very smart. They will travel the same path over and over and over again until they cause these deep ruts. And they'll actually get themselves stuck in their own ruts. Sound familiar? Um, They'll also pollute the ground where they're grazing with their waste uh, and not move on until the fact they become riddled with disease and parasites. All this happens because they have a bad shepherd who doesn't care for the sheep. If the religious leaders would have been doing their job as shepherds, would 5,000 people need to literally run alongside the shoreline to try to catch up with Jesus and his crew? And Jesus looked at that crowd. He showed care for them. Instead of sending them away, he sits them down in groups and sends out his disciples to feed them. He meets their needs. He cared for them. Why does Jesus care for people? Because he's the good shepherd. That's what good shepherds do. They care 
So how do we shepherd? We care. When it comes to showing care as a shepherd, we need to take some cues from actual shepherds. So when a shepherd uh, calls their sheep, they actually come. It's not like your cat that never shows up, right? The sheep actually come at the shepherd's call. They know the voice of the shepherd. The mere presence of the shepherd puts the sheep at ease. They stop butting heads with one another. They stop trying to compete for position. Instead, their focus just goes to the shepherd. This only happens because the shepherd is spending time with the sheep. There's a growing relationship that's taking place. And if you and I want to give care to people, we've got to get to know them and let them know us. And this knowing is not just a surface level knowing. It's a deep, deep knowing. Shepherds just don't know their flock, though. They're checking their flock. What a shepherd would do is he would take his rod and he would use it to separate between the wool to pull it back so he could get all the way down to look deep to the skin to see what's happening and taking place. He would do this all over the sheep. And then he would take the sheep by the head and he would look at its eyelids because you can tell of certain type of parasites by that. And look in the mouth. And the whole time he's looking for disease and sickness and parasites, he would check them routinely and meticulously because he doesn't want anything to harm his flock. You should have regular check-ins with your spouse, your kids, your friends, and even your coworkers. During these check-ins, you're asking questions and you're trying to get to the emotions that they're feeling and the thoughts that they're having and the why behind the actions they're doing. Now, these check-ins aren't interrogations where you're setting them down and you're putting a lamp in front of their face and you're asking them, where were you last night? Like, it's not that kind of questioning. It's this questioning that happens maybe over a meal, right before bed, and a car ride down the road. You're listening for anxious and worried thought patterns, the sense of being overwhelmed, or maybe even major dissatisfaction that's at work, at school, or with a friend group. Another way that you could check in on a family member is just simply ask, what do you need from me? And in that moment, you just might get a glimpse into what's happening in their heart and in their head so that you can better care for them. Providing care is also doing the little things, too. At work, this could be the age-old adage of you kill the Joe, you make some mo." Right? For all you uncaffeinated people, that means if you finish off the coffee pot, you're the one who starts the next one. All right? It could be replacing the ink in the printer after it runs out. And while you're doing this, you're standing around, and you have great opportunity for conversations with your coworkers. Could be as something as simple as pulling up your neighbor's trash bins and recycling bins so that you can start a conversation with them. And just maybe, maybe that conversation can lead to a check in. You're seeing how they're doing. And if we have consistent check ins with people and they see how we're caring for them deeply, it might just give us the opportunity to show our great concern for their eternity. 
Caring like a shepherd isn't something you can just wing or make it up as you go along. You have to have a plan. Providing care means you know someone deeply and you're meeting a need. Why would we do this? It's what Jesus did. He's the good shepherd. And if you and I are becoming more like him in all of life, we're going to provide care too. We're going to give care to others because that's what a good shepherd does. When we're thinking about shepherding those around us, we do need to be mindful of the types of shepherds that people have. We've talked about this already, but when Jesus looked at this crowd, he looked at them with sheep without a shepherd, meaning the Jewish leaders weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And these are the people, though, that Jesus described as whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, self-exalting, only looking out for themselves. I don't know about you, but those aren't the types of people that I want shepherding me. Bad shepherds really only care about three people, me, myself, and I. They're worthless and they're horrible. They run the moment they are needed the most. So this group of people had no one to protect them. And sheep actually need a lot of protection. Their eyesight is not very good. They will sometimes wander off on their own, which then makes them prime candidates for a late night snack by a wolf or some other predator. People in our spheres of influence, they don't have it any better either. They're bad shepherds of the world, Hollywood, a political party, wayward parents, a rebellious peer group. They try to appear like they're going to provide protection, but actually in the end what they're going to do is feed on them and exploit them for their own personal gain, exactly like the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. So how do we shepherd? We protect The people around you need protection. So sheep need water. And they need fresh water. It can't be stagnant water because if it's stagnant water, it might be riddled with disease and parasites. So there's only a couple of ways that a shepherd can get his flock fresh water. One, dig a well. Two, find a river. And then once you get to the river, what they'd have to do is because sheep have bad eyesight, remember that, they, don't, they can't see well, so they don't like rapidly moving, rapidly moving water. It scares them because they think something's going to jump out at them. So instead, what the shepherd has to do is create an environment where they feel safe, where they feel protected. You can even think about this in the terms of, of Psalm 23, verse 2, when David talks about God leading him beside quiet or still waters. You see, David knew what it meant to water a flock. He, he knew what it meant to provide this safe environment of protection. And what it meant was is that the shepherd would come alongside the river and he would begin to dig out alongside it. And he'd use maybe his rod or his, his staff and he's digging and he would create kind of like a culvert there and then he would dam it up so that the water would just slowly move and become quiet and still. Took a lot of physical energy to do that. They had to do the, had to go out ahead of the flock before they even got there to create this environment. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to create a place where sheep feel protected. We've got to do the same thing if we want to be good shepherds. Jesus went as far when it came to protecting. He laid down his life 
for his own. He's the good shepherd. Providing protection is going to take time and it's going to take energy. You're going to have to give of yourself over and over again. You're going to have to put yourself in between whoever you're protecting, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and the danger. This could be something as simple as lessening the amount of news that your family watches or the movies that you decide to go see. It could be about the music that you listen to while you're in your office or maybe in the car with your friends. Protection could also come as how you encourage those around you and share life-giving truths that are rooted in Scripture and not the last self-help book that they read. Protection could be in the way you pray for them. And when I say way, I mean the, the what you pray for them, like what you're saying when you're praying and in the amount of time that you're spending in praying for them. Right after this, right after Jesus feeds this 5,000, he actually sneaks away, sends his disciples away. He sneaks away and gets on a mountainside and prays. This was not uncommon for Jesus. He would often sneak away and go pray all night long. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And one of the phrases that he uses was, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we should be praying for people in our homes. That's how we should be praying for people at work and in our neighborhood. We should be going to God and asking for him to, hey, God, whatever's happening in heaven right now, I want you to let that loose on these people around me. This means you're praying for salvation to come. You're praying for people to have an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus so that they can have life to the fullest. For some, you're praying that they would just mature in their faith. You're praying that they would put on the full armor of God. You're praying circles around people over and over again, asking God to protect and for God to make an impact in their life. So about two months ago, I woke up about 30 minutes before my alarm clock goes off, which is at 4.30 in the morning. Not, that's just, I, I get up, I like to get up early. Um, so 4 o'clock, I wake up, I'll say, okay, this is too early. I'm going to try to go back to sleep for a little bit before my alarm goes off. You know, you do that thing where you're just like, okay, fall back asleep, fall back asleep. It didn't happen, so I got up. I got dressed. We have a gym in our neighborhood, so I walk to the gym. And uh, so I go outside. It's 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I'm usually the only person I see outside, but at this moment, my neighbor is backing out of his driveway in his pickup truck, and he flips the cab light on, and he just has the biggest grin on his face, and his wife is over there like doing her Lamaze breathing, right, and he's just smiling ear to ear, and he's like, he's coming, and I'm like, that's awesome, and so I got to share for just a brief moment with him, man, that is so awesome. And I got to encourage him and let him know how I'd be praying for them. And I said, okay, y'all hurry up and get to the hospital now because I am not equipped for what's about to take place in that truck. But since that time two months ago, my family and I, we have continued to pray for our neighbors. We're praying for protection for them, yes. But we're praying that God would make an impact on their life. And if God wants to use us, we're asking God to use us however you want to. We want to see them come to faith and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So why would we put all this effort into praying and providing protection for people? 
It's because Jesus did it. He's the good shepherd. And if you and I want to be good shepherds, then we need to protect those in our lives as well. So you want to leave a mark. You want to make an impact. You want to have a legacy. Be a shepherd. God's placed you right where you're at in your life, at work, at home, in your neighborhood, with a friend group, to be a good shepherd. He's put you in a position to care for others, to know them, to meet their needs, to have a deep concern for where their eternity is going to be. He's put you there to protect them, to pray circles around them. The truth of the matter is that if you don't personally know the good shepherd, Jesus, then you can't shepherd like this. You see, Jesus didn't come just to be a model or the example for us of how we're supposed to shepherd. He actually came to be your shepherd. And right now, some of you are tied to some bad shepherds. You are tied to the world, money, power, influence. You have hitched yourself to these things. You have put your trust in it or even someone else. But you see, Jesus came and he was the good shepherd so that you didn't have to hold on to bad shepherds anymore. And instead, you could trust in him. See, Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he was raised from the dead. And by doing so, he took on the punishment of our sin, which is eternal separation from him. So that if you would believe in Jesus, if you would trust him, if you would let him be your good shepherd, you wouldn't have to experience that. You could have life to the fullest. Not only that, you could become a shepherd for those around you, providing protection, giving care, having a deep concern for people's eternity. Jesus has such a deep concern for you. He has such a deep care for you that he laid his life down some 2,000 years ago so that you wouldn't have to have a bad shepherd. He's calling you. Just like how the shepherd calls his sheep. He's calling you. And the moment that you belong to the good shepherd, then you can be a good shepherd to those in your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for sending Jesus, the good shepherd. Lord, and I ask you to help us to be good shepherds in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work. Lord, make us ever more aware of the brokenness in people's lives and the deep need that they have to know you as their good shepherd. God, you've placed us right where you want us to be those shepherds to those around us.
Matthew 5, 16 comes to mind, Lord, where the good shepherd says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God, I pray we will be shepherds, God, whose lights shine. God, just pointing people back to the good shepherd, the great shepherd, your son, Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. So while you were sitting there, somebody's name might have come to your mind, maybe a neighbor or a coworker, and, and God has just impressed it upon you that you need to be a good shepherd to them. I want to invite you to come down front and come pray with one of our members of our prayer team. Pray for that individual, but also ask them to pray for you to be a good shepherd to them. Maybe you were sitting there and you just realized, you know what, I need to up my game as a parent. I would invite you just right where you're at or even coming down front and praying here, or you could just come and kneel down front, but pray for your family. Pray for you to be that shepherd that they need. Maybe somebody has, you're sitting there and you've go, yeah, you know what, I have hitched myself to a bad shepherd, but I don't want that shepherd any longer. You want to be tied to the good shepherd. You want to put your trust and your faith in him. I want to invite you to come down, and I want you to share that with one of these prayer team members. Just let them know that, hey, help me ask the good shepherd to be my Lord and Savior. So let's respond to God by praying right where we're at, we're worshiping right where we're at, or you are free to in, freely invited to come forward. So let's right now, let's stand up and let's respond to God and how he's prompted us and led us.